Yes, indeed. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Yes, Indeed podcast. Two ones. We're the 11th podcast in the world of this show. It's a minor caveat. Yeah. Coming to you at your ears today is Brian Computer, me. And Ben Zeiger, me. Oh, wow. That's cool. I wish I got to have us in our ears all the time. Oh, wait. No, I don't. We do have Same. that. That's the podcast. Both things. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about a few things. One is icebreaker board games, specifically Happy Salmon. and Which gonna... sounds a bit like this. Yeah, we'll explain that. And then uh, there's Space Cadets. Uh, we're going to dive a bit into Arcade Fire, the show you saw. And then we'll pivot into games, talk a bit about Gang Beasts and XCOM and a uh, thing that we do called Drunk Souls, which we'll probably also touch on Dark Souls. What? And finally talking about The Last of Us, a game that we finished. Because we were winners. Singing about board games, singing about board games, bored about singing games. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's like the dry erase without the marker. It's like the price is right without the barker. It's like the barker without the dog. It's like the poopy without the log. It's like the log without the yule. It's like the thread without the spool. So Happy Salmon is a game that you were very excited about when you discovered it. And it's sort of a result. We do these board game Sundays and have a variable number of people show up, a lot of whom don't know one another, or at least don't know one another very well. Or didn't. Or didn't. And, and this is a good icebreaker game so people can kind of get to know each other. It's silly. It's high energy. It's not very intense. Uh, so, so what is Happy Salmon? Well, first, a little bit of anecdote on, I think, because I think icebreakers are really nice and somewhat important, because I do think there's something about the, like, these are a bunch of people I don't know, and I'm not going to quite be myself with them yet, but then icebreakers make that ground down a little bit. Um, I know, for one, I have loved being at trainings in the past and, and doing these, like, big, huge scale icebreakers where... People are looking like dinguses with each other, and then that makes them be able to be friends easier. And I have a lot of nice memories with that. So I think that's kind of, that's partially why we wanted to make sure we always did an icebreaker every Sunday. Plus, it's really nice. Um, we like to have everybody um, both introduce themselves and say their preferred gender pronoun, and also ask them a ridiculous question to the effect of, if you were a shoe, what kind of shoe would you be? Old boot. Ben is an old boot. I think I was something boring. You were something like I think you were Converse, maybe. Oh yeah, because I'm. I called myself a hipster, <laughs> which you know. So, um, yeah, I think it's a nice thing because it helps people tell everybody what they would like to be um, called, which is good. And then also 
that's already an, an, a nice little like weird thing where I think I did another one we've done is uh, if you were in if you would be most comfortable in any band what band would you be most comfortable in mm-hmm. um, so just like weird things that get people thinking in being dinguses already and then we go into happy salmon so happy salmon is uh, a game that is basically just about greeting people as quickly as possible <laughs> so the way that, that works is people get a, a small stack of cards. Twelve. Twelve cards. cards. And they go through them. Each one is is labeled with a certain type of, of physical greeting. So a high five or a handshake or a pound it or something like that. And you're, you're working your way through uh, trying to find other people who have the exact same card that you do at that moment. Yeah, so the basically the way it works is you everyone will have a top card of their stack. You have to find someone else to do that activity with you. So if it's high five, then you're like high five, high five, high five. And then someone else will have high five on top and they'll be like high five, yeah. And then you'll high five. And we have a house rule, which I think makes the game even better of whenever you do an activity with someone, you have to say their name. So it just helps reinforce um so it's awesome where you just have these like high five high five, high five. oh frantic high five and then you're like uh, 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 brian. brian ben right which is fun um so you keep going until you're out of stack but the reason the game is so awesome is it's all of those things plus um there was an article i read that was linked to by shut up and sit down um that was basically saying that this game is awesome because it tricks your brain into getting the little hormone rush you get when you touch another human so like even though you're just doing like a high five or a pounder or whatever your brain still kind of gets those chemicals so it's cheating your brain and then everybody's just naturally happier from having human Human contact contact. wow same word synergy never happens (laughs) um so yeah so you can either high five um we'll do we'll do the effects in the microphone so that you know what it will sound like high five uh pound it uh switcheroo which would be switching places you didn't switch with me oh he's a loser and then the other one is the happy salmon which is the only one that might be um foreign sounding to folks and the way it works is um two people and it's gonna sound ridiculous to say out loud but that's fine here we are um two people they uh kind of line up their each other's hands with the forearm of and the other person. Of the other person, and then kind of move their hand up and down so it makes a noise like this. And it says in the rule book, if you don't do it at least three times, then it's not a happy salmon. Right. So you need to make that noise. It's sort of it's sort of like uh, fish hitting their flippers together to say hi. Which is why the game's called Happy Salmon. Right. And the, the other thing about Happy Salmon that's awesome is that it plays up to 12 people. If you, have, you have two copies. Two copies. And it's only it, like 15 bucks, so it's cheap. Right. And then it also... You could also make your own version pretty easily. Definitely. But this version is nice because the pouch is a... It's, it's a salmon. It, the pouch is a salmon. And then also all the cards have okay. salmons doing the activities on them. So the happy salmon on the card for happy salmon are doing happy salmons. Versus high-fiving each other versus pounding each other or whatever. Versus switcherooing. Um, and the other thing is the game takes about... Five. It's like sort of a game. It's sort of not a game. (laughs) It's It's definitely fun. Yes. Whatever it is. Exactly. Um, Would highly recommend it. 
because it's pure ridiculousness. And this, I, there was this great moment where your uncle had come over, um, and within the first five seconds, he identified himself as someone who hates chaos. <laughs> and then we were like, all right, we're going to play Happy Salmon. And we explained what it was, and he was like, that sounds like chaos. And, I, and we were like, yeah, a yeah. bit. <laughs> and then he ended up having a good time with it. Right. Um, I think. I think so, too. I think it's, it's just silly, good fun. The other awesome rule in the game is that when you finish, you say, I'm finished. Right. And you have to accent it. Otherwise, you don't win. Right. Because salmon have fins. <laughs> but that's not the only board game we've played in the somewhat recent past. Yeah. We, we also played with the same uncle this game called Space Cadets. So Space Cadets is is one of my favorite games, honestly. And this was the first time that we actually finished it and and won. That was new for us. So so basically, Space Cadets is a cooperative game. It's 100% cooperative. Everyone has a job on a ship. So one person is in charge of steering. One person is in charge of the shields. One person is the gunner, you know. And the idea is to, like, fly through space on a mission and basically... For the one we played, it was acquire some crystals, escape enemy ships, and then uh, use your jump drive to, to get out of the sector where all the dangerous stuff is happening. And what makes the game so fun is that each individual task, like what you do as the shields person or whatever, is actually pretty simple. It's just this very easy to, to complete mini game. Uh, the problem is that you have to do it very fast. You get 30 seconds to do whatever you're trying to do. And if one person messes up, it basically messes everybody else up. So you kind of need everyone to be good at their one simple task. And then when things go wrong, everything gets insane and, and chaotic and out of control. But because, so this game's aesthetic is like very cartoonish Star Trek. Yeah. So the the tone isn't like, this is a super serious thing. If you fail, we will die. It ends up being like a really silly atmosphere where um, we've had, we've mentioned this a couple times in the podcast before where you like play a game and then people are like, Captain, what do we, I think we have a morale problem, Captain. <laughs> and then the captain's like, do people have a morale, Captain? Or is it just you, Brian? And then I'm like, no, I think people are having a morale problem. And then the captain asks everybody else. And then I'm the only one who has a morale problem. But um, it's one of those games where, yeah, you you generate silly stories at very alarming rates because of the tone and atmosphere. And when someone messes up, even though it messes everyone else up, it's more like, oh, Ben, oh, Ben's been drinking. No, <laughs> no. It's not like, oh, Ben, you just made us lose the game. I hope you're happy. Right. Yeah. So so again, that that idea of of really intense competitive, uh, like you're super invested in the game you're playing, and when somebody does something it really hurts your feelings that's really not this kind of game no um, the, the interesting counterpoint to that is actually pretty long so we've had people in the past uh be a little down on it because of how long it takes to play through and shrug i mean we we did play for a really long time to finish it uh it was probably like two or three hours part of the reason it takes so long though is so i don't know if there's a way around this but the game takes so long because setup takes so long because be, everyone's doing a different thing. So you have to give them individualized rule explanations. Right. And even though everybody's doing mini games that are inherently somewhat simple, 
there is a bit of nuance to all of them. So like shields is, oh, but if the colors match, then it's actually worth double the amount of points you get for mm-hmm. the thing. So there's there's all these like little rules that you have to explain to one person in particular. So not only does it take a while, but it feels like it takes a long time because at any given time, the people explaining the board game are only explaining it to one person at a time. Right. So you're explaining to the gunner how to use the gunner. Meanwhile, the shields, the captain, the engineer are all going, huh, this game hasn't started yet. Yeah. But if the group of people are like nice mates having a good time, then it's all good. Right. And um, then once people know how to play, it's a faster game. Yeah. Play and it definitely the first couple turns are very what are we doing and then after the mechanics kind of crystallize then i think the game picks up a lot so i think the reason some people play space cadets once and then go space cadets is because of those factors that are definitely going against it its first time out of the out of the starting blocks well yeah yeah that's certainly true and then at the same time the experience that you get when even in one turn, but especially when you have a full mission complete, uh, if you're able to synergize really well and everyone works together, the the moment where you see that the helms person who's like totally overwhelmed with choices, they have to make very quickly, and they end up landing right where they need to be at the speed that they need to be going, and the captain's able to like engage the tractor beam and grab a crystal, and the sensors person is able to break an enemy lock, and, and you get out of there without getting destroyed that's an awesome feeling and for me it's the kind of thing that uh i i have a certain amount of happiness out of winning a competitive game and i have way more happiness when you have a team of people all working together where everyone is really struggling to do the best they can individually and then in the end you see how everyone ends up succeeding because everyone pulled their own weight and that's again that's an experience you just can't get from most other games, and I think Space Cadet's one of the best at doing that. And it's definitely the it's you're not gonna get as high highs from the game if people aren't good at or if like at least one person is consistently bad. We talked about this a bit with Captain Sonar, but so like if you have someone at the helmsman who for some reason can't spatially reason things, then they're gonna be like oops sorry we're at the top of the map and facing out towards outer space and then everybody's like oh Uh, we can't win and we've been playing this game for an hour but we'll never have a chance of winning so it can't if if you don't have a glimmer of hope the runtime can also be a bit of a drag but as long as folks are like moderately competent then i think it's a good time yeah and and again the kind of mini games that you're talking about here one is sort of like poker one is sort of like uh tetris there's another that's basically like again thinking in a grid on how to move uh in along certain lines the helmsman helmsman. yeah so and then and then there's there's a memory matching game then there's one where you're doing like a little dice game where it's like you Yahtzee. Have, yeah, Yahtzee kind of thing. And then there's one where you have to reach inside a bag and pull out the right feel of a shape. Yeah. Um, so that, they're all like funny things. And, I think, and yeah, none of them are super foreign or weird or new. They basically all are like other games that people have played before. Yeah. Neon Bible. Neon Bible. 
Not Ooh, much chance for survival if the neon Bible is right. Bum, 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 bum. It's wrong. Yes, indeed. It's like the mushroom without the spore. It's like the hair without the floor. It's like the floor without the rug. It's like the boat without the tug. It's like the tug without the rope. It's like the sexual orientation inclusivity without the new pope. So... You had a very special experience. Arcade fire! Yeah. Uh, this was, this is one of, you, in, in your words, one of the most special concert experiences you've ever had. Yes. Which is saying a lot. Yes. So what does that, what does that mean? So uh, I, I think I recapped this to you a bit, but um, for me, I think the most amazing, spectacular moments in concerts are ones where not only is it mind-bendingly perfect and awesome, but there's an element of like shock to it, like you weren't expecting it. Um, and with that, I think something transcends from being awesome to being unforgettable. Um, moments like this I've had in the past are like when I saw Mates of State in Chicago in 2012 with my Obama friends and you know, the sun was setting and the music was just so nice and they were playing all the songs from Mountaintops, which was an album that was super clicking with me at the time. and. I wasn't expecting that moment to feel so perfect when I was in it, so it knocked me off my socks. Or um, when I saw LCD for the first time, I was kind of ready for it, but I couldn't be ready for how insane it was. Um, and, yeah. Uh, so there was an element of surprise this time also. Yes, because so the what the thing was is um, on, like, Sunday, I got an email from Spotify that said, hey, Arcade Fire are doing a, a fan event in your area and it was like a conversation with arcade fire and do you want to go and i was like sure so i rsvp'd and then um it became clear throughout the course of the week that it was going to be they were going to debut their music video and then do like a q a on it and i was like okay i mean i guess i'll go to this thing because at the end of the day i'm still like seeing arcade fire in the flesh why not um, and then we were at the event and then they did like a Q and a thing and it was really awkward. And within the first 15 seconds, there was like an unofficial dance contest offering between Spike Jones and whoever did the music video. It was weird, very weird event. And, and then they were like, okay, we're going to show you the music video now. And then, uh, We'll do more Q&A. So have a lot of questions. And then we were like, okay. So they put down the thing. They had a music video. It was like a fine music video. And then music video ended, as did its music. And then music kept happening. And then they dropped a curtain. And then all of Arcade Fire was there. Um, and it was, you were, you were like, I wonder, because they were really far up on the stage. You know, oh, maybe. Maybe, but you couldn't tell yourself that they were going to come out because you couldn't get your hopes up for that and then have it not happen because that would be too devastating. So the fact that they did end up coming out and doing like a full set, like 15 songs, full set, um, it blew my mind. It was absolutely <laughs> amazing, incredible. As performers, and just in terms of what their music is, it's they have a lot of really, really high energy songs that... Um, they're insanely emotionally packed too. 
So you, you not only purport a lot of emotion onto them, but they're, they're done with like a ton of emotions. So you have one song where like Will Butler's running around with the snare drum hitting it wildly. And you're just like, yeah. Um, so good. But well, oh, you also, you had mentioned that the, the venue was pretty intimate too. Oh, so tiny. <laughs> it was only, it was only like 600 people. For Arcade Fire, which is insane, because they just went around and did the arena tour. So they just played, they went from like Madison Madison Square Garden to a place that they before were like, yeah, we never played a Gramercy before because when we were bigger than it. So we were like, hey, but you are now for us. Yay. And everybody was a super fan because this was the Spotify algorithm picked biggest arcade fire fans in the new york city area um so everyone was singing along to everything and like the second a, a song you'd be able to recognize what a song was everybody in the audience was like yes this song oh yeah um so it was really nice and they're they're an insane band that has so much good music where you have obviously you have their first record funeral which is like synonymous with best indie album for like past 20 years um one of those that's like in contention for that um and then you have neon bible which is like an insane thesis statement of an album that really digs deep and is amazing and they played the anti antichrist television blues and it was amazing and so insane and they have the suburbs which is Oh, as an as a full album, it's hard to beat it when you just listen to it from start to end. A few albums are satisfying of a payoff when you listen to an album from start to finish. Um, and oh man, they when you play songs like uh, Sprawl Two, it's amazing. And then you have Reflector. So I I talk, I did these little recaps because I wanted to hit on Reflector a bit because when it came out, I was kind of met on it. And then I saw them for the then I saw them in June last year. And they were playing some of the reflector songs like Here Comes the Night and We Exist and Flashbulb Eyes and uh, Joan of Arc. And those songs had never really clicked with me before. And then I heard them live and then they really popped. They started popping for me. Um, and that was weird to me that certain Arcade Fire songs would be like so emotionally impactful for me. But then certain ones I just kind of needed to see live and then I really got them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that is, if it's like a mixing thing or whatever, but... Definitely, that happened again. Actually, where they played another, they played Afterlife, um, and I afterwards, I just, I just want to listen to Afterlife for like twenty times. Mm-hmm. Um, so something about those songs, and that's the album that James Murphy from LCD produced with them. So it, it's not surprising to me that like as a live album, it's really awesome. But it is a cool thing. And then their new album, Everything Now, which a lot of people are super down on, but I think is really fun. Just there are certain songs that are really nice to see live like electric blues such a fun little dancey song and regine gets to sing and that's always really nice um so yeah it was insane i had such a good time i was sore for the next couple days and there was a it was (laughs) my immediate response after the show was i'm so happy i need to just like have a little bit of outlet to it so i called you and you were in the meeting and (laughs) (laughs) that was an insane differential i was like ben i'm so happy and you were like cool I have to go. And I was like, okay, bye. And then I called my mom because I needed someone. Uh, so then my mom didn't recognize me because my voice was too high and I was too happy. So um, 
yeah concert can definitely not only change your week but change your your emotional everything existence <laughs> yeah one other thing uh I, I don't know how much you've talked about this on podcast before not that i can remember very much uh you have you have an interesting relationship to set lists which may be normal for some concert goers uh it was not i i'm not a concert goer so i didn't really know that this was a thing um so you want to do a little a little overview on what, what that means if people aren't concert people and then this this story specifically is a lot of fun sure yeah so um set lists are if you've been to a concert they're the there's like little pieces of paper on stage that list the songs that the band is going to play because it's actually pretty easy in the heat of the moment to be like oh wait what song are we supposed to play next so they're every band member pretty much has a set list so that they know what to play when um and then they don't look like a fool when they start playing the guitar for we exist when they should be playing it for wake up so uh that's what that's their purpose so generally after the show when people are taking down the instruments and stuff the crew will give out the set lists to the people who are in the front um because like hey you were the super fans here are here's like a memento of the night so that you can remember it and and then you have like a tactile thing to actually like feel and touch from the show and that's what's so special about them, I think, is that you not only get to remember things as memories, but you also can, like, you have a tactile thing. And when you see the songs in the order that they are, it, like, drags a little memory thing. And then you also rub it and touch it and hold it to your face. And that feels really nice. Um, normal people do that, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not just me. Um, so I've been... I've been because I'm so front row obsessed at shows, I've, I have a knack for getting a lot of set lists. So like my, some of the things I'm most happy in the world to have are like, I have an LCD sound systems set list. I have, you know, a Los Campesinos set list. I have a public service broadcasting set list. Like all these bands that I'm super obsessed with, I have a, a lot of them I have the set list for um, because I was up row up front and just ha was also a bit lucky. Um, and got it and you also you gotta want it you gotta want it because yeah sometimes some of them i've had to like literally hold away from other people who were grabbing at it in my hand so like it's an it's a chore <laughs> so it's a chore not and so it's a chore to get them it's also a chore to be front row because typically to be front row you have to be there definitely at least when doors open probably before that but depending on the band so like lcd sound system i'm there like an hour and a half before the show starts and there's also an hour and a half before the band goes on before the show quote unquote starts. And that's a, that's an hour after doors. So you're there for like four hours before music happens. So you have to be like a super insane fan to, to want this experience. But being in the front is, is awesome. You can't beat it because the thing I'm addicted to about concerts is you lose yourself and forget you're alive pretty much. So if you're in the front, there's just less you're less aware of other people and then it feels a lot more like it's your own personal private experience and then you you're way quicker to just release all whatever you're carrying into the show and just be present um, which is the best thing in the world so at arcade fire um they they had given out a couple of the set lists but there was still a bunch on the on the stage and the security people were like okay it's time to go home thank you thank you for coming and they 
And so everyone was like, no, but they're setless on the stage. So they were like, no, you got to go home. You got to go home. And they were like shoveling people. And then we like kept moving incrementally towards the door, but also all of us longingly looking towards the stage. And then one, one woman went over and like talked to the people on stage. We were like, oh, please, can I please just get a set list? And then they went over and they got one for her. And then I don't know about other people, but in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm not leaving. <laughs> So everyone else like kind of kept doing the linear progression towards the door and I was constantly just looking back at the stage and then one of the stage people was just had a set list in their hand and they were like, huh, there's no people up here. And I, and I like immediately ran over. I was like, please, 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 can I have it? And he was like, sure. And then like threw it at me and I was so happy. Ben came home to me cradling it in my binder of yeah, you're, set lists. You were very much in beetle position. It was very cute. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I get a set list, it's very much like I'm in the womb. Yeah. I am the last of us. I Bye. am the best of us. I am Bye. a zamboni. Yes, indeed. It's like the haircut without the snipping. It's like Posh the Screamer without the clipping. It's like the clipping without the mic. It's like Sons of Anarchy without the bike. It's like the bike without the chain. It's like getting stunned without the rain. So, video games. Video games. Uh, we, we've talked about XCOM before. This is, this is the conversation this is we've, been waiting. This is, we've been waiting to have this for years. So this is the first XCOM game, XCOM Enemy Unknown, or the we first reboot one. Won. We did win. Woo! <laughs> so uh, we we played this this run that was very different than the other one we described, where we were focusing on the right things at the right time, and <laughs> we uh, we had our people actually survive to the intense mission where we lost last time. It wasn't a 1v1 of fake Simba <laughs> and the super evil alien. We no. had like a good, everyone, we had, our final crew was like absolutely insanely amazing. Well, so the, the mission that we lost to last time was actually not the end of the game. Yeah. By, by a couple big missions. It's definitely like the precursor to end game. Yeah. So we were probably like 75% of the way through last time. Yep. Uh, and so, fake Simba missed a shot. Yeah, fake Simba missed a shot. That run was never going to happen. But this run was awesome. And we had really strong people. Basically, everyone was a colonel by the end. One one tip for people who actually play XCOM is that we, we ended up learning that it's important to take a rookie with you every time. Because there are moments where you need to do some stuff that's risky. And rookies are more expendable. Yeah. Just <laughs> you need to see what's up ahead. Send in your mindless derp. <laughs> and then, it, and then, because I think that what what we ended up doing in our previous runs was we would push someone forward who we cared about because their class was more oriented towards being a push forward person. And then they would get themselves in a sticky situation and we would end up using a lot of resources to try to protect them, which sometimes didn't even make a difference. And even if it did make a difference, we had already not used our resources to the most tactical degree we could so i think that what we did was we we would send in someone who was riskier and they would end up getting us information and hopefully hopefully they would survive sometimes they would yeah and if they did then they got promotions and stuff which is also valuable so rather than if, if you have people who are pretty high level it's harder for them to level up and then they also cap at a certain point so 
it, yeah, it ended up being the right the right strategy for the most part to not have the dream team every time because there's a high chance that someone's gonna go down every every mission. So, uh, so yeah, we we ended up learning that we did the skill tree really well. We also had like a really nice dream team. Mm-hmm. So the absolute super MVP in what is the most appropriate thing in the universe. <sighs> so we had mentioned before that we had Hoop and Bopper as like our all-time favorite person who we had to watch get gunned down ah brutal our hero sniper in this one sniper so same class was called hop and bopper hop and booper hop and booper so it was the flippy and this was just so amazing and we we pretended that that was her daughter yeah that's so awesome (laughs) and and had to change her name because her mom's legacy was too much of a weight on her shoulders so, but she ended up not only meeting her mom's legacy, but surpassing, surpassing her mom's it. legacy, which was made part in large ways because our, our stupidity. Well, no, her her ability to to outdo her mom was in caring less about saving civilians. Oh yeah, that's a good trait in survival, actually, is to care less about humans, which we'll talk about later in the podcast. Yeah, Last of Us. Um, but so yeah, the the idea of that run was we had well, lots hold of really okay yeah, yeah. we have more people who are yeah because i think mentioning at least my i think my second favorite person and the other person that i like super super cared about was we had a healer and their name was uh, was like something like lieutenant dad and their nickname no, no their nickname was pops yeah from the get-go yeah and then so. we renamed them because we we got them and they were already like a pretty decent healer so we were like okay this we should take this dude on missions because we like good healers so then his nickname was Pops, because they always have, like, Sniper, Nugget, like, Ace, whatever your nickname is. So this name was Pops, so then we named him, like, Lieutenant Dad. Stepdad. Stepdad, yeah. His Lieutenant Stepdad. And the Stepdad was looking after the kids all the time. <laughs> yeah. And he was trying to keep them alive, but the kids kept getting into, into funny business. So whenever someone was injured in battle, they would just go, Dad? Dad? <laughs> would need to run Dad? But you're not my real dad. <laughs> Well, yeah. So we had we had we had a great team, and we got into the final, final, final mission. Wait, before that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, good. Because okay. so there's the there's also the like psychic ability thing that you have to do. <laughs> so you get late enough in the game, and then you start training soldiers with like psychic ability, um, which is a minor spoiler, maybe. But like, who cares? Nah, so it's it came in like 2011. Come on. Um, so. Uh, if you, you have to basically put your soldiers in this unit and see if they have psychic ability. So we were like, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got a bunch of rookies, and we <laughs> named them all. All of them had the last name Brain. Because we were like, all right, yeah, they're psychic. They're going to have, like, so it's like, insanely awesome Brain, or like, whatever. And we put all those people in the chamber. And they failed. And they didn't have the psychic ability. And we had one that uh, the first name I did before Ben was like, wait, we should name them all Brain. We named someone Doofus Face. <laughs> so we put Doofus Face in the psychic chamber. And Doofus Face <laughs> had, had psychic, psychic ability. So. so not only was that the thing, but the whole <laughs> final plot of XCOM, you have to have like a chosen one soldier. And it was Doofus Face. So the entire mission, they were like, well, I can't believe you're doing this. The chosen one, the aliens were like talking to him. And we were like, Doofus, oh, you mean Doofus Face? <laughs> Doofus Face is a rookie. So we had we had this like dream team of colonels. And then Doofus Face <laughs> and all of the aliens were talking about Doofus Face. Like Doofus Face is the next coming. And it was, it was so good. And then in the end, 
the stuff happened, and without spoiling, Doofus Face is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. That was so satisfying in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. It was, so, it was definitely one of those, like, insanely immaculate, like, we'll remember that story of having played XCOM and beating it for, like, a long time. <laughs> well, and again, like, the, the, the reason that you get invested in those characters is because the mechanics are so much, like, when we play on what's called Iron Man mode, where if somebody goes down in battle, they're, they're just completely gone for good. You can't go back to an old save file, yeah. you can't save them, they're just gone. Yeah, so... Uh, we've we've talked about that before with Posh the Screamer, rest in peace. And how does uh, Posh the Screamer go? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clipping. <laughs> so. So anyway, the, the fact that like you you start to get invested in these characters and care about them, it's just I I still remember Posh the Screamer, and I barely remember that game. So that's something that's really special about games is that the mechanics make you care more. So. That's that was cool. Speaking of caring more, <laughs> let's talk about Gang Beasts. So Gang Beasts <laughs> is the best way to describe it. If anybody's familiar with uh, uh, Super, Super Smash, Smash Bros. Brothers Melee, yeah, or, or, or whatever, Brothers, or Brawl, basically like any any <laughs> game where you have characters where people are playing as somebody who's trying to beat everybody else up. Uh, one one thing that that makes Gang Beasts different from most of those is that everyone's basically made of drunken jello. So, <laughs> so whereas there are some games where like you go in a in a video game where your friends are fighting each other and the person who owns the game or like is obsessed with Crushes video games everyone. or whatever, just, yeah, they know all the combos, they know the right all the characters and how they play and whatever. In and this one, and that can be fun yeah. where you're, you have like. The insane, awesome luck match where, oh, somebody finally took down, you know, Bill. And Bill is the best Smash Brother player I've ever seen. And, and like, those storylines can be fun. But I think it's more fun when <laughs> anybody the playing can field is level. Yeah, so Gang Beasts is, everyone is, again, like, drunk and jello. It's all based around physics. The, the controls are very simple. It's, like, grab onto a thing and, like... Well, it's punch, like you you it. hit the left button and then you move your left arm out, and you hit the right button and you move your right arm out, and, and like you... those are the controls. And then you can also like when your arms are out, you can pick up stuff, or you can uh, like headbutt or kick. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. So so the most of it is just people running around in circles, like and trying to flopping, punch each other, flopping around, and it's all unlike unlike a lot of those games where it's like abilities and combos and whatever like in this one it's basically just like you you flop around and it's all physics engine based so like if you fall you like splat a little and like <laughs> the 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 op combo in gang beasts is you wildly punch someone and headbutt them until they fall onto the floor and then when they're passed out you pick them up over their head and you throw them off the side right but well, it's incredibly hard to actually like pick up someone who's floppy and dead on the ground and, and throw even, them off the side yeah when you do they can grab onto the side and then if they wake up in time yeah then then the second they wake up they start getting really scrambly and then <laughs> both of you two can like fly in the air if things happen funnily enough so it's uh, most of the matches are you being like, stay down. No, 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 no you're alive again. <laughs> and yeah, so the and then they'll thing... knock you out and then you just keep going back and forth. <laughs> well, 
Well, the other thing that's that's really special about it in, in my eyes is that at least the PC version that we play can play up to eight people at the same time. So given you have to have a lot of uh, controllers of some kind, uh, we do because we're giant nerds. Nerds! So, so we have we have enough nerds. so that we nerds. have up to nerds. Nerds. eight people playing nerds. at the same time. Nerds. Up to and, eight nerds playing at the same time. Right. And and that's that's a level of like floppy frenzy that you just can't get from any other experience than Gang Beasts. Because first of all, having eight people play a video game at the same time is something that I've barely heard of before yeah without like crazy land setups or whatever because the the thing about multiplayer games is that almost always unless it's like a two-player game the more people the more chaotic the more funny is like generally the way it goes there's like a linear relationship between chaos and funny right with multiplayer games so the more people there are the more chaotic is the more fun it is so when you have like eight people wildly flailing around like drunken jello, <laughs> turns out that that's actually super fun. <laughs> so, it's it's a weird special game, and, uh, and I'm really glad it exists. Definitely, a, like if you're not all in the same place, it wouldn't be as fun. Yeah, it's so, a cou- it's a couch game. It's a couch game for sure. So if you're in one of those setups where you have a couch and lots of or like. Uh, like four controllers to start with. Maybe some t- maybe someday branch out into like eight controllers. <laughs> Game Beast might be for you. If you're not one of those people, like most people in America, you should just come to our apartment <laughs> and play Gang Beast with yeah. us. Most people in America should come to our apartment. That's the that's the takeaway. Yeah. So please invite anyone you know <laughs> to at any time come to our apartment and play Gang Beast. So speaking of of funny in a very different inviting context. all sorts of people to our apartment. <laughs> Drunk souls. So we do one party a year. One. Basically. Yeah. And it's for my birthday. Yeah. And I had this inspiration last year where I wanted to make a giant cookie pizza. Cookie Called a cookie Yeah. Or, and, and then simultaneously, I at the time last year, I was really into Dark Souls, which we'll touch on right now. Are you not into Dark Souls now? Oh, I am. It's just, <laughs> I, this was, I'm definitely past the peak. The peak has happened. The peak was scary. The peak was scary. <laughs> and and the peak has gotten us where we are today. Should we do a brief recap of Dark Souls before we get too deep into Drunk Souls? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I think we we uh, can say a lot about Dark Souls. And we I can say a lot about Dark Souls. Hey. So uh, actually what I think I want to do first is... <laughs> okay. uh, is I'll, I'll give like a very brief overview, which is basically Dark Souls is... Uh, game set in a fantasy universe medieval fantasy universe made by a japanese studio to emulate a game made in a western world so it's it's a very weird thing from the start it's it's a game that's it's very dark and you die a lot and it's very mean to you right so so that's the just the dark and, and it's it's like a lot of exploring and timing based combat and Every enemy is a challenge. All, all of that stuff. Um, so and it's bleak, right? So, so actually, it's before bleak. before we go deeper, as you're saying, I actually I'd love you to kind of give some of your thoughts on Dark Souls in general because you actually have unfortunately experienced a lot of Dark Souls at this point. Um, any from anything in the series. So, what what does Dark Souls mean to you? So uh, depends on. So I've experienced Dark Souls two ways. One way I hate, and one way I really like. So the thing I hate is playing Dark Souls. Um, it's a game that it. So some people might like 
that it doesn't respect your time. <laughs> I don't know how to say this nicely, but it's don't. definitely... <laughs> so don't say it nicely. <laughs> basically, the way Dark Souls works is you can lose you can lose to a boss, and then the 35 minutes you spent getting to the boss of enemies that you killed because you wanted to play cautiously will all respawn for you to get back to the boss. And if you don't get back to the boss, you die on the 35-minute way to get there, then you lose all of the things that you dropped when you lost to the boss. So it's a game that is just so mean. And if you're if you're not someone who is like, you lost and then there's a little thing in your head that's like, oh, but I kind of want to try again. Like me, I'm not, I don't see a challenge and I go, oh yeah, I would love to be able to overcome that challenge. I'm more like, huh, if the game engages me and is interesting then and i lose i i want to know why i lost but most of the time you see a boss you fight them and the first time you have no chance and in order to work up being able to fight it again you have to grind through it's so awful (laughs) and i can understand how the people who really love it can play it for so long because after a certain point you know the mechanics enough where you're like i know what i did there or whatever no. If you're a new player, it's unless you have a ton of patience, a really good map awareness, a keen desire to just walk around and try to find the right thing, and also um, just like a uh, screw you attitude towards challenges, then Dark Souls will not be for you. If if you are some of those things, it might be for you. So as a as a watcher of Dark Souls, I find it really appealing because again. Um, I think the tone is a thing that is not really common in any other video game where it's, it is really like a world of darkness and there's no like happy, cheery dialogue. In fact, there's very little dialogue at all. There's mostly atmospheric storytelling, which is pretty cool. Um, and again, we've mentioned this before with the way we play Neo, but I really like coaching Ben through a challenging game because there are so many things to think about if you have someone over your shoulder who's like oh you can heal now and then you don't have to worry about when you're supposed to heal then you can just focus a little more on other things so it's really we play it as a co-op game where i'm not playing but i'm coaching so that's what's really fun for me is that it's a because there's so much challenge to it if you have someone who's willing to do the thing then someone who's who wants to like go and coach them through that can be really satisfying for them yeah, those are my general. That's what my my interaction with Dark Souls have largely been those things. Yeah, totally true. Uh, in fact, we we played through all of Dark Souls three together. Yes. Um. So so that was that was kind of your big foray into the game. Uh, and and then in in preparation for Drunk Souls, you also watched a lot of Dark Souls. So so Drunk Souls is Dark Souls where. When you die, you take a shot. That's ben is the only one playing. Right. I'm the yeah. Ben plays Dark Souls. When Ben dies, Ben takes a shot. Right. So so it's to be clear, it's a party where I invite people over and I play a game. So it's it's a selfish thing. Like full stop. Except it's also funny because people get to make fun of me for not playing well. Uh, which was very true last year where it took me six hours to finish the whole game. Now, mind you, I, I finished my first playthrough of Dark Souls took me around seventy hours. So, 
So <laughs> there's a big there's a big amount of improvement between my first time. I for the record, when I was first playing, our friend Steph got me into it, and I was so frustrated when I lost a bunch of stuff in the starting area that I stopped playing for like two weeks. Yeah. And then a little voice in my head started going, I think you, I think I could do that better. I think I could do this better. So that's, that's the thing you need in your brain in order to keep <laughs> playing. Yeah. Cause your, your 70 hours of finishing dark souls was over the course of like months. Yeah. <laughs> and then not one in one sitting playing for six hours. Right. Um, so that's, that's, a big improvement, and at the same time, for people who came over to a party to celebrate my birthday, to watch me play a video game for six hours is not necessarily the most fun thing in the world, especially when I'm playing pretty badly. And th- there's not there's a lot of moments of just like, oh, we've seen this like four times. Why is Ben not able to get past this part? Because he's drunk. <laughs> is usually the answer to that question. So, uh, this year, I played a lot better. Yeah, you 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 practice a lot more. <laughs> right, was so. definitely a piece of this. But yeah, there it was absolutely incredible. We do not recommend anybody tries this at home. But it was absolutely incredible to watch someone who was so inebriated and so good at Dark Souls because there were there were literally whether it was making sentences like getting up to go to the bathroom, any like everything else Ben was worse at than Dark Souls. Like his Dark Souls execution was unparalleled with his bodily functions. Um, so. Uh, it was it was a joy to behold watching him like go and and like stumble s- around, execute then, like yeah. <laughs> ceaseless discharge, like name the Dark Souls boss. He beat it. He only really died to a boss like twice, yeah. and the other times he just died because he was drunk and ended up like walking off the side. <laughs> but um, it was it was incredible watching Ben be that good at Dark Souls, but that that bad at everything else. <laughs> and we do this the way we. I think another thing that we did that was really funny um, that I think folks... So even if you're not having a video game party, uh, I think it's this is like a fun idea for people in general. So like at a certain moment, whenever you died, every single person at the party stopped what they were doing and sang a song to you that was, I'm going down the road feeling bad. I'm going down the road feeling bad. I'm going down the road feeling bad. Oh, Lord, I'm going down the road feeling bad. So there were like nine people in mono shouting that at Ben's face, which was awesome. But I think the reason it was so nice was just was not only because it was humiliating Ben on the next level strategy, but um, <laughs> just the fact that like communal, everybody in the same space doing the same thing is a thing that I feel like I don't experience much at parties. Yeah. So even though our party was mostly people gathered around a TV watching Ben play Dark Souls, (laughs) there were definitely moments in that party that I haven't experienced at other parties that were really nice. Like everybody paying attention to the same thing at the same time. I think that was really cool. Yeah, because I think, I I mean, I don't think either of us are the biggest party people in the world. Nope. And, And one thing that I really don't like about most parties is that it feels a bit like people are kind of in their own world and uh, and it's very easy to just kind of like be in the corner and maybe you can have a conversation with one person, but it's usually kind of loud and stinky and just unpleasant. And the fact that this one, everyone was kind of like all on the same page doing the same thing, making fun of me, that, <laughs> that sort of made it <laughs> nicer because then people were able to like get to know one another and stuff 
And also, I got to play Dark Souls, which makes parties better for me, always. <laughs> the original Dark Drunk Souls, Ben was like, I don't care if people are happy, I'm just going to be here playing a game. <laughs> and then uh, this year, I think your attitude changed a bit, but mostly just because you were less worried about... You were really good at the game, so you were less worried about it being so long. Because I think the only reason it was slightly less successful last year was that it took six hours. Yeah. And most of that was because you were in areas and you had like you had already pulled a lever... But you were looking around like an hour after that in the same area being like, where's the lever? I don't know where the lever is. <laughs> and then there was someone shouting at you constantly that, Ben, you've pulled that lever before. And you're like, I don't know where the lever is. And then I came over and I was like, Ben, put your controller down. Where are we going? And you were like, we're getting the lever. And I was like, Ryan says it's gone already. And you were like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you were pretty out of it last year. You were a lot more focused this year, which I think let you relax a bit more. And then also, when you were relaxed a bit more, I think everybody had a general better time. So, but it's, I think, not that it wasn't fun last year. I think it's a fun thing. I don't know why. <laughs> I, no one should do this other than us, but we're freaks and we love it. Nerds. Speaking of nerds, we played more video games. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we wanted to briefly touch on a game that we just finished called The Last of Us. So we talked a bit about it on episode 10, but I think we wanted to dive into it a little bit deeper since that was a very like high-level video games thing, and we just wanted to talk about it as a game specifically because it's so awesome. So so again, for, for people who aren't familiar with it, The Last of Us is a game that came out a little while ago that is about uh, a man escorting... A, a girl through a uh, an apocalyptic world and this particular vein of of apocalypse is there's an infection that's going around zombonies yeah so it's basically it's basically zombies the the, the like zombie lore in this is that people have these spores that they inhale or get in their bloodstream that ends up making fungus grow in their brain and then they kind of lose control of their bodies and uh and the the game is about kind of navigating a world where there's a lot of lawlessness it's a lot of these zombies and it's one interesting thing that they do in this game from a tonal standpoint that i haven't really seen done before is they kind of set it up like a wild west experience yeah where the rule of law is gone there's danger everywhere it's basically you take the racist old Wild West movies replace the like bad cowboys with bandits and you replace the Native Americans with zombies because that's that's the way the culture works. <laughs> so, but I mean, yeah, and there's there's definitely other zombie things that have like similar kinds of things where you have like little bands of communities that band together and but it does it it very much I think the thing that last of us really likes examining is like what it means to survive Mm -hmm. and like where is your humanity totally like what if you're if you're like a raider who anytime someone comes through and you kill them and take all their stuff because you want to survive how different are you from an infected and like kind of examines that through so many different lenses that it's really thought-provoking yeah and and i think that one thing you know the, the big counterpoint to this is 
the Walking Dead universe in the games, in the TV show, in the comic books, whatever. And and I think that one thing that comes through there a lot is this idea of like who's who's really evil here, the zombies or the people, you know? And I think that that's certainly present in this game. I think that building on that what what really separates the last of us in my mind is that the story is so focused on yep. these two people yep. and and digging into their relationship and their backstory and you know something something really really intense happens as the tutorial to the game uh which is kind of like at the onset of of the the infection becoming uh, a problem and it it's an intense character moment for the protagonist that then completely colors the entire rest of the game which really begins after like a 20 year jump from that first scene and and i think that 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 to me is something that i haven't seen before in a lot of other experiences where the emphasis is so much on what what trauma has the the main character undergone as a as a result of this apocalyptic scenario and what how how does that affect the way that they're interacting with people in the present so one of my favorite movies is children of men and and it's very similar in that regard um where the onset of this apocalyptic trauma affected the protagonist's backstory and it changes the way they're acting in the present and i think that the the way that the last of us takes that and runs with it is that they make the the other main character ellie this this younger girl uh it makes her into this completely three-dimensional character of her own with her own set of motivations and abilities and feelings and watching their relationship develop is kind of the the cornerstone of the experience it's the same way that in a game like life is strange there's a world and it's nice but whatever because it's all about max and chloe this game's all about joel and ellie yeah um and it's again like games games transcend into the sublime when you have these like insanely human dynamic awesome relationships between two people and you really feel it and you feel everything about them that's last of us definitely has that Mm -hmm. and i think definitely like if you can do that in a game it will be one of our favorite games because it's that like that in any media is something super amazingly and truly special yeah and and one one way that the the game was was colored a little more for us which we didn't talk about a ton last week is that we made this choice to play the game on the the hardest 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 difficulty which you could sort of see coming based on my obsession with dark souls <laughs> but but and, and and your uh affinity for coaching which was also our role in this and the the thing here for me was that i i really felt like the difficulty added a lot to the experience because there's some games that you just they're harder and it's just the additional challenge and you're looking for a challenge um but this felt like the difficulty actually informed the world in a way that it wouldn't have otherwise yeah it, you know you'd be in moments where it's just you and ellie and you're playing as joel and then there'd be like you were you were like you got ambushed by bandits there'd be like seven or eight of them and you're just one person so the fact that you have to go and like cautiously sweep and take them out until it's safe totally made sense and the fact that it was so hard made sense because you were just 
like a team of two people. Yeah, because you, if you played on an easier difficulty, it would still be good. It just wouldn't. It would be more of a power fantasy. You'd go through and be able to take down seven people as one without really worrying about it. Uh, and the fact that it it was so hard kind of made it into more of like a horror game where where you felt powerless the whole time and the moments where you succeeded were just like the like a hair's breadth away from from defeat most of the time it, yeah when you win in this when you win at a gallery in this game it was very much you don't have an expression like oh yeah we did it we're so great it was more like oh thank god we survived <sighs> yeah totally like now we can carry on like thank god yeah this this heavy journey and and additionally you had this experience of going into this house and and saying like oh man there might be some materials here that we can use to craft something or there might be some some extra ammunition or whatever and over and over again you look in a cupboard or in a drawer or whatever nothing and it'd be empty and and that makes sense because this place has been inhabited by people struggling to survive for so long that there's there shouldn't be a lot left here uh and when you get even like a couple bullets or something that's that's huge you know like that's that's the difference between life and death so you feel that mm -hmm. it, it is it is a pretty pretty brutal world in a lot of ways and this just kind of like added another systems level to that yeah and it's definitely a game that's the brutality is additive to the tone in the world and and then also makes for when you have the like little nice Joel Ellie moments that are sprinkled throughout the game, they feel that much more impactful when it's sprinkled in between these like adrenaline horrors. Yeah, where you where you just like you barely you barely made it out with your life, and then in, in a in a slow moment, you get to look at the person in front of you and and connect with them in this in this way of like feeling total desperation and isolation and also like complete dependence in a way that is either really beneficial or really dangerous depending on the situation and given ellie's age and how long the apocalypse world has been present mm. you figure out pretty quickly that ellie doesn't know what life was like before all of this um and then that too adds this totally new insane lens of like imagine what it would be like to not know anything else yeah, and, and she grew up in a quarantine zone, so the first time that you make it into just, like, being outside in the open air, she's like, whoa, you know? Yeah, and you're like, N what? <laughs> trees, and Ellie's like, no, this is incredible. Yeah, so kind of experiencing the world again through her eyes is something that's really special, both for you as the player and also for Joel as a character. And that is officially why Last of Us 2 is a game that's coming out this year this year or next year this year or next year and is definitely the game we're most excited for of like any game ever other than maybe well i don't know i'm, I'm i think i'm more excited for this than life is strange season two just because i have more invested in already in the sequel being good but i'll we probably get i'll get smashed because life is strange is always good <laughs> cool so this wasn't this was a podcast and it was episode 11 the 11th episode of any podcast ever for this podcast for this podcast um so thank you very much for listening um i think for the road we're gonna give you one last happy salmon bye